You're listening to the New Hope Church Podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in as today's talk comes from Randy Spate. Good morning, my name is Randy. I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope. In 1980, a man by the name of Shae Soon Yung, South Korean, he founded the first professional soccer team in South Korea, but he had a dream. He was a Christian, and he wanted everybody to know it. He wanted people all over South Korea to sing praises to the Lord. So he named his club the Hallelujah Soccer Club. In a TV interview, he said the reason he did that was because he wanted all of the radio announcers all over South Korea to shout, Goal! Hallelujah! And sure enough, they did. And the Hallelujah Soccer Club won the first premier championship in Korea. Now the Psalms tell us that we need to praise God. In fact, the word hallelujah literally means praise the Lord. Hallelu, praise Yah, God. Praise the Lord. I was surprised when I looked the word up, it only occurs 23 times in the Old Testament, 23 times in the entire Bible. All of them in Psalms and all of them at the end of the book of Psalms. Now, the book of Psalms is the hymn book for the Israelites. It guided their worship. They would go to temple and there they would together as a body sing praises to the Lord. In fact, when King David and Solomon built the temple and organized what it looked like to worship in the temple, they had full-time people who would play instruments and sing. Levites who would sing and lead the worship. They had full-time Levites who would write hymns so that they could sing a new song any time they came together. I love that. Psalm 150, we kind of catch a little bit of what David was trying to express. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heaven. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. Praise him with the blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with the lyre and the harp. Praise him with the tambourine and with dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. 
praise him with loud, clanging cymbals. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now you catch the idea of what David's trying to get across to us. People, this is important. When we come together, we worship God together. We sing praises to the Lord. I look at the book of Psalms. There are three things that stand out to me of why we use the book of Psalms in our worship. First of all, the content. Psalms deals with real life. The psalmists talk about their joy, but not just their joy. They talk about their frustration. They talk about their pain, despair. Some of the psalmists talk about praying to God and God doesn't answer back. Have you ever felt like that? The psalmist wrote about it. Pain, sickness, despair, joy, happiness, it's all there. Our worship stems from real life. Not just the good times. Not just the happy times. Because life isn't happy, happy, joy, joy. Sometimes there are tough things that we go through. Worship comes even from our pain. We can find worship in the midst of our pain. Second thing I find in the book of Psalms, the emotions. Now, I'm not a real emotional guy. I don't wear my emotions on my shirt sleeve. I kind of just go along with the flow. I feel it. I feel it inside. But I don't say it. Boy, that wasn't David. The psalmists are vocal in letting us know what they're feeling. If David is afraid, he says, Lord, I'm, I'm frightened. If David is relieved, he says, I'm relieved. There are psalms in which he says, I hate your enemies. Worship doesn't mean that we always feel great. Sometimes we're sad. Sometimes we're lonely. Sometimes we're full of joy. And we find worship in the midst of all of that. Now the band's going to come back up. Don't get real excited. We're going to sing a couple of songs and then I'm going to get up again. But the third thing that I find in the book of Psalms is just very simply the beauty of the book of Psalms. The way the psalmists write just say things beyond anything that I could ever say. So if you are able, 
Would you stand with us? And let's sing together Psalm 23, one of the most beautiful of the Psalms. Israelites would go to the temple to worship. Now, there were good reasons for that. David built the, or Solomon uh, built the temple. In the middle of the temple, you have the Holy of Holies. The Ark of the Covenant is found in the Holy of Holies. And in the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence dwells. That is where God breaks through into our world to meet mankind. That's where the Israelites would go to worship. Solomon's temple was destroyed. Israel was taken away in captivity. They came back. And the governor Zerubbabel built a second temple, not nearly as big. Solomon's temple was massive. It was beautiful. Zerubbabel's temple was more like a chapel. It was small. It's kind of unimpressive. But worse the Ark of the Covenant was no longer there. That was lost during the exile. Lost for two millennia to be found by an archaeologist named Indiana. No, no. No, But Herod, the king in Jesus' time, decided to build a new temple. He he wanted it to look like Solomon's temple, so he built it big. Still, the Ark of the Covenant wasn't there. But that's where Jews would go to worship. Now, if you didn't live in Jerusalem, you had synagogues. The synagogue is actually kind of a displaced temple. It was built in the same structure as a temple. Men could sit inside. Women and children had to be in a separate place, just like in the temple. So worship centered around the temple, either in the actual temple in Jerusalem or in the synagogues outside of Jerusalem. But in the second chapter of John, Jesus does something really amazing. He goes into the temple. He finds it full of animals and money changers in preparation for the Passover. He throws the money changers out of the temple. He takes their tables and he throws them up against the wall of the temple. He makes a whip and he drives the animal out of the temple, animals. He says, this is a place of worship. This is not a marketplace. Now the next day, the authorities came to Jesus and they said, why did you do this? Who gives you the right? To do this, Jesus answers by saying, all right, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Now they were astounded. They said this temple has been under construction for 47 years. History tells us that Herod's temple was 48 years in completion. So it was a year away from finishing. It was almost done. You could see how great it was, how beautiful it was. And Jesus says, tear it down and I'll raise it up in three days. 
Those are the words of a crazy man. But his disciples, who wrote these words later, said, when Jesus said, destroy this temple, he meant his own body. Now, you know, for years, I looked at that verse and I thought, okay, so it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor that Jesus uses, talking about his own body, his own death and resurrection. Indeed it is, but I think there's something else there. As I was preparing for this message, kind of a new slant on this came to me. A couple of chapters later, Jesus is with the Samaritan woman at a well. You know the story. He starts a dialogue with her. At a certain point in the dialogue, the Samaritan woman looks at Jesus and says, you're a prophet. So tell me, Mr. Prophet, the Jews say that you should worship at the temple in Jerusalem. The Samaritans say that you should worship in the temple on Mount Gerizim. So where do you worship? And Jesus' answer says the time is coming and it's here. It's right now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. I wonder if what Jesus was saying was actually this. You can go to Herod's temple. You will not find God's presence in Herod's temple. You can go to Mount Gerizim. You will not find God's presence on Mount Gerizim. You worship wherever God meets man. Where does God meet man? Asked the Son of God standing before the woman at the well. There is no better place that God breaks through and presents himself to man that in the person of Jesus Christ, the crucified and resurrected body of Jesus is where God breaks through to all of us. And Jesus says, that is where you worship. Wherever God is breaking through in your life, Worship. Now Paul takes these words and he goes a step further in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, so now you Gentiles, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens with all of God's holy people. Now Paul had a very serious issue that he was confronting as he ministered to Gentiles, and Gentiles came to the Lord without first becoming Jews, Paul told them, now you too must join together in one body to worship the Lord. Jesus has saved you Jews. Jesus has saved you Gentiles. Come together and worship him. That was a tough thing. You see, Jews actually had a prayer 
Once a day, they would pray the prayer of 18 blessings. One of the blessings, they said, thank you, God, that you did not create me a Gentile. They hated the Gentiles. In fact, if they met, if they just simply met a Gentile in the street, they were unclean and they couldn't go to the temple. And now Paul says, meet with the Gentiles in your assemblies and learn to worship together. For the Jew, that was earth-shattering. For the Gentile, it's the same. They looked at the Jews and they considered them hillbillies. They were from the, the hill country. They were just farmers. They weren't sophisticated urbanites like those of us from Rome or Athens or Carthage. Those are huge, magnificent, magnificent cities. You go to Jerusalem and all you got there is a church. You got a temple and that's it. There's no statues to their gods. Nothing like that. Jews and Gentiles hated each other. Paul said, oh no. When you come together, you are together citizens of God's kingdom. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We are carefully joined together in him. And when we are together, we become a holy temple for the Lord. Catch that? When we are together, we become a temple for the Lord. And what do you do in the temple? You worship. That's where God is. Now God is anywhere in your life that he breaks through. Worship is not confined to these four walls. Worship takes place out there in our everyday life as well. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But something special happens when we come together. We have online viewers and thank the Lord for technology that you can join us online. But I'll tell you what, something special happens when we're able to join together, look around at each other, see the rest of the body of Christ, recognize the crucified and resurrected body of Jesus, and we are able to worship together. Paul goes on in the book of, of, Corinth, of Colossians. He tells us, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other. And the word there for counsel is actually translated usually challenge each other. Teach and challenge each other with all the wisdom that he gives. Sing psalms. And there he's saying, take the book of psalms. That expresses our worship to God. Sing those psalms. But sing hymns as well. You know, there are sections in the New Testament that are very poetic. 
we suspect that Paul and Peter and John have taken early Christian hymns. And they said that hymn says it better than I can. And so they just copy down the hymn in the books that they're writing. Sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to God with a thankful heart. And whatever you do, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, through him, to God the Father. We come together. We recognize that we are a body. And together we worship. We worship in prayer. We worship in Bible study. We worship as we greet each other in the foyer and we share a cup of coffee. We worship together as we sing. Because as we do that, we learn. Jason talked about that. We learn from the songs that we sing. That's why we're so picky about the songs that we sing. We don't want to just sing anything. We will leave here remembering the songs. We'll sing them during the week. We want to make sure that they're good, solid theology. We come together and we sing and thank God. We come together and we sing to God out of hearts of gratitude. Twice in this passage, Paul talks about our thankful heart, giving thanks to God. Once more, right before this passage starts, he talks about our gratitude. We sing to express our gratitude to God. We sing to each other to learn good, solid theology. Let me tell you about a lady. Her name is Frances Jane Van Alstyne. She was born in 1820. At six weeks old, she had an inflammation of the eyes, some sort of an infection. A doctor came to her and said, uh, let's do this. And he put hot mustard poultices on her eyes. She was left blind the rest of her life. She was blind. That happened at six weeks old. At six months old, her father died. Her mother, forced to work now as a maid, left Frances with her grandmother who raised her. Now her grandmother was a good Christian woman. She saw that Frances would never be able to read, and so she taught her to memorize scripture. Francis memorized the Pentateuch. Do you know what the Pentateuch is? It's the first five books of the Bible. See my Bible here? That much of it is the Pentateuch. Francis memorized it. Not just that. She memorized the book of Proverbs. She memorized entire psalms, long segments of the New Testament. She grew up completely submerged in God's Word. When Frances was 18, her mother remarried. Her stepfather abandoned her mother when she was 24. 
rather than wallow in defeat and depression, she chose to live a life of happiness, even given the situation she was in. She once wrote, when I get to heaven, I don't mind being blind. When I get to heaven, the first face my eyes will ever see is that of my Savior. How can you argue with that? When she was 14 years old, she received a scholarship. She began to attend the New York Institute for the Blind. When she graduated, they said, would you stay on as a teacher? And she did. She met a young, another young man there, also blind. They fell in love. And they married. In 1954, she met hymn writer William Bradbury. Bradbury listened to her. She had written several poems. He listened to the poems. He said, uh, I think I could put that to music. Would you write poems for me to put to music as hymns? She was so excited. She rushed home. She told her husband, I have a hundred hymns in my head. The Lord has finally given me a purpose for my life. I can write those poems for the world to see. I'm the happiest creature in the world. Her husband encouraged her to write using her maiden name, she had published some of her poems before they were married, and she wrote under her maiden name. And so Frances used her maiden name, and Fanny Crosby wrote over 8,000 hymns. Now, if you have a hymnal at home, open it up and look for the name Fanny Crosby. You'll probably find 40 or 50 hymns in your hymnal under the name Fanny Crosby. Huge hymns. Blessed Assurance, that's the one the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association always used. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. To God be the glory, another hymn that she wrote. 8,000 hymns. She'd write an average of three hymns every day. She and her husband had a daughter. Their daughter died shortly after childbirth. She had reason to be jaded, to be depressed. She chose not to be. Instead, she looked at all that she had. She and her husband both wrote music, not just hymns, but contemporary songs. They would perform concert, concerts they actually received a lot of money for performing those concerts. They could live comfortably with their income as teachers and as performers. But you know what? They chose to give their money away to those less fortunate than they. <laughs> At the end of her life, she stopped writing hymns. She and her husband began to work in rescue missions in Manhattan. 
They worked in missions, in Hell's Kitchen, in the Bowery, in the Tenderloin. Fanny Crosby lived a life of worship. The band's going to come back up, and we're going to sing one more worship song before we leave this morning. Fanny Crosby teaches us that worship is simple. Worship flows from everyday life. Worship is continual. Worship flows from a grateful heart. Anywhere Jesus is. What we're saying this morning is simply this. If you want to live, love, and go like Jesus, be his body. Be his temple and worship. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.